we're making our way through the letter of James, and we come now to chapter 1, verse 19, where James is continuing on giving wisdom for very practical Christian living. Uh, In the previous section, he's discussed about how we can love and honor and serve God even in the midst of trials, and there's hardly anything more practical than that in the Christian life. Uh, Now, he's giving us the wisdom of what we need to do to stand firm against unrighteous anger. And much like the pattern is, for example, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, here James is giving us wisdom on how to deal with a anger problem. Look at here, verse 19, James chapter 1. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for... The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, you've heard us say before in some of our previous studies here through the book of James, how uh, many people make a similarity between James in the New Testament and the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And verses like verse 19 are reasons why. You, You could pretty much just lift that idea from other ideas that we see expressed in uh, the book of Proverbs. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I mean, as I said before, that sounds like something that was just fit right in in the book of Proverbs. And again, we can learn how to be slow to wrath, in other words, slow to losing our temper, slow to anger, by first learning how to be swift to hear and slow to speak. You know, it's a very important point there, isn't it? A lot of our anger comes from being self-centered and not being others-centered. Now, Jesus, being the ultimate others-centered person that ever walked this earth, he really not only fills our life and gives us the power and the heart to do this, but he really shows us the way as well, that Jesus was a man who listened to people. Go through the Gospels and look how many times Jesus was asking questions of others. Why? Because Jesus wasn't just looking for an excuse to speak, although he was a great speaker and preacher, but Jesus was also a man who listened. So again, as it's been observed before, and it's somewhat of a cliche, but some of these cliches are pretty good, actually. The cliche being is that God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we should always be listening twice as much as we speak. And again, that fits very much in the idea of what James is speaking about here in verse 19. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and even slower to wrath. We're going to be others-centered if we're swift to hear. We're going to be slow to speak if we're going to be others-centered. Now, again, add on top of that, at the end of verse 19, being slow to wrath. And why? Look now at verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, in light of the nature of temptation, in light of the goodness of God, which was spoken of in the previous verses, we have to take special care to be slow to wrath. Why? Because our wrath does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, it's kind of funny because I always like to think that my wrath accomplishes the righteousness of God. That whenever it is I'm getting angry, I'm getting angry out of some really righteous cause, and God himself would be just as angry, if not angrier than I am, etc., etc. Listen, the, the truth is, most of the time when I get angry, it's about myself. Most of the time when you get angry, it's about yourself. 
our wrath almost always simply defends our own agenda or promotes our own agenda. I'm not saying that it's impossible for us to have a righteous wrath. I'm just maybe speaking personally here when I say most of the time when I say it is a righteous wrath, it's really just my own selfish wrath. My wrath is not promoting or producing the righteousness of God. And so using this wisdom, we are going to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But then going on now into verse 21, where we read, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You see, I love how James does this. Again, very much similar to the pattern of the book of Proverbs, where just one piece of wisdom is linked to another, very much like it's pearls on a necklace, just one next to another. These beautiful jewels of wisdom that we see on how to live an honoring life before God. And what do we do? Well, we lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. You see, this has in mind an impure manner of living. And again, we talked about the nature of temptation in previous passages there in the letter of James. We talked about the goodness of God. And when we contrast the nature of temptation with the goodness of God, that means we want to lay aside all impurity. We want to put those things far from us. And so it's sort of like one thought is suggesting itself to another as James goes on in his letter. I kind of like, I can't get too far in reading this verse without thinking of the old King James Version translation of verse 21 here of James chapter 1. It it translates the phrase overflow of wickedness here in the New King James. It translates it with this phrase, the superfluidity of naughtiness. Look, friends, I don't even know if I can tell you exactly what the superfluidity of naughtiness is. But man, that's a memorable phrase. And again, it's the idea simply of an overflow of wickedness. It's filthiness. It's stuff we should put away. I like what John Trapp, the old Puritan commentator, said when speaking on that idea of putting away all filthiness. He said it in a very picturesque way. He said this, quote, The stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excrement, the superfluidity or garbage of naughtiness, as it is here called by an allusion to the garbage of sacrifices cast into the book Kedron, that is the town ditch. He says those things that are marked by things that we would just throw into a dump. Get rid of that filthiness in your life and do what instead? Look at the end part of verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. You see, in contrast to an impure manner of living, we should receive the implanted word of God, doing it all with meekness, that is a very teachable heart. And that word is able to save us both in our current situation and eternally. You see, God's word is so pure. God's word is so strong. God's word has such a, a force with it that it can preserve us even in an impure age. And, you know, if I'm marking up my Bible here in uh, James chapter 1, when I come to verse 21, if there's any line that I'm going to underline, it's that line right there, receive with meekness the implanted word. That's the first thing to do, isn't it? To receive. 
I like what Charles Spurgeon said along those lines. He says, the first thing then is receive. The word receive is a very instructive gospel word. It is the door through which God's grace enters to us. We are not saved by working, but by receiving, not by what we give to God, by what God gives to us and we receive from him. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Understanding the impurity that there is in the world, understanding the impurity that there is within me and the need to walk right with God. The first thing I need to do is receive with meekness, the implanted word. And again, in the whole phrasing of this, James is explaining to us the spiritual power of the Word of God. When that spiritual Word of God is implanted in the human heart, what is it able to do? Look at it right there in verse 21. It's able to save your souls. The Word of God carries the power of God, having the ability even to rescue us in this present age and in the age to come. Now, having brought up that idea of receiving with meekness the implanted Word, Now, starting in verse 22, he's going to talk to us more about how to receive the word of God. Are you ready for this? Starting now, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Wow, what a section there in James chapter 1. And this is one of those sections that is very Jamesian, if I could make up a word right there. These verses 22 through 25 really give us a lot of the heart and the vision behind James in this letter. He tells us in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, when we receive God's word, as verse 21 told us to do, we need to receive God's word as doers and not only as hearers. Now, nobody should think that James is putting down the idea of being a hearer. You can't really be a doer until you've been a hearer. But get the point. Being a hearer of the Word of God is not enough. It has to translate into our life. We need to be doers of the Word and not only hearers. If you take uh, comfort in the fact that you've heard God's Word when you haven't actually done it, That's deceiving yourself. Now, I think about this as this teaching goes out in recorded form. Uh, You're listening to it online. You're listening to it uh, over some kind of podcast or something like that. Uh, You may take comfort in the fact that you're hearing the Word of God and you're hearing somebody teach the Word of God. It's a good thing that you're doing that, but you can't stop there. You can't merely be a hearer of the Word of God. You have to go on to be a doer. You know, it was common in the ancient world for people to hear a teacher. And if you followed the teacher and tried to live out what the teacher said, you were no longer just a hearer, you were a disciple, you were a doer. 
we can say that Jesus isn't just looking for fans. He isn't just looking for people to approve of him. He isn't just looking for people to say, hey, yeah, team Jesus, I'm all for you. He's not just looking for hearers. He's looking for doers. He's looking for disciples. And what I find interesting is we find throughout this letter of James so many allusions back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus used this same point to conclude his great Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said at the end of Matthew chapter 7 that the one who heard the word without doing it was like a man who built his house on the sand. But the one who heard God's word and did it was like a man who built his house on the rock. When you both hear and do, that gives you a strong foundation, able to withstand the inevitable storms of life. And so this is what we have to look at. You see, it's not enough just for us to hear great sermons. We as Christians, we can't become a sermon appreciation society. We have to be those who hear the word and then do the word of God. Again, if I could quote something from Spurgeon, he said this, quote, I fear we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers because they are not doers of the word of God. And remember, if you are only hearing and not doing, what does James say to you? He says that you are deceiving yourselves in verse 22. And surely this is the worst kind of deception. Look, it's one thing for me to deceive somebody else, but in some ways it's an even worse thing for me to lie to myself. I need to at the very basis be true before myself and before my God. The worst kind of deception, at least in some ways, is to deceive myself. No, I don't want to fall into that trap. Now, to build on this point in verse 23, James says that the one who does that is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Now, verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You see, the kind of person who only hears God's word without doing it has the same kind of sense, the same kind of stability as the man who looks into a mirror and immediately forgets what he saw. What would you say about the person who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets? I look in the mirror and I see that I have a great big black mark on my face that needs to be cleaned off. I see it and then I immediately forget. I don't do anything about that big black mark on my face that should be cleaned off. The information I received from the mirror did not do any good in my life. And that's why it seems that there are people who hear the word of God. They seem to receive the word of God, but it doesn't do any good in their life. Why? Because they're hearers and not doers. And by the way, there's a phrase here used in verse 23 where he says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face. According to the Greek commentators that I read, the ancient Greek word translated observing here has the sense of a careful scrutiny. So what James is talking about, by analogy, is people who may give a careful scrutiny to the Bible, yet nevertheless, they're not doing it. Brother and sister, this is a wake-up call. This tells us that you can be a real student of the Word, 
yet fail to walk in God's wisdom, fail to be blessed by the word. Why? Because you receive it only as a hearer. Even if you're diving in deep, you're just a deep hearer, but you're not an actual doer of the word of God. Now, when we understand how powerful the word of God is and how when it is heard and done, this makes us responsible to not hinder the power of the word of God in any way. We do not want to get in the way of what God wants to do in and through his word. And so this gives us a solemn responsibility. We, we want to be those people who hold up the mirror of the word of God and lift it up before people's lives. And when I say we, I mean we as preachers and teachers so that people can look into the mirror and do something about it. Let me put it to you this way. A healthy person looks into the mirror not only to admire themselves, but just to do something. Well, what would you think of a person? They go and they look into a mirror and they, well, why are you looking in the mirror? Oh, I don't know. I just love looking at myself. Well, are you going to do anything? You're going to brush your teeth? You're going to comb your hair? You're going to put on makeup, whatever? Oh, no, I'm not going to do any of those things. I just love looking at myself in the mirror. You'd say, whoa, wait a minute. There's some real trouble here. Even so, a healthy Christian looks into God's word to do something about it, not just to store up facts, not just to gain information that can win an argument or debate or a game of Bible trivia. No, but to be a doer of the word of God. Now, continuing on in the thought, he says, verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, if we do study the word of God intently, and by the way, I am all into intense Bible study. You could say that in many ways, I've given over my life to intensely studying the Bible. When we intensely study the Bible, when we look into the perfect law of liberty, when we continue in it, the reward there in verse 15 is that this one will be blessed in what he does if we continue in it, if we are doers of the word and not only hearers of it. So again, let's not forget, James is emphasizing the idea of doing the word, but he is not against Bible study. He wants us to intently look into the perfect law of liberty. He wants us to give it a penetrating examination. And what are we looking into? The perfect law of liberty. You know, I think that is a wonderful description of the word of God. Don't you think so? I think it's wonderful to say that the word of God as given to us in the new covenant, God reveals to us a law. There's obedience required of us under the new covenant, but it's a perfect law of liberty because our hearts are transformed under the new covenant by the spirit of God, by the law written in our hearts. We have a law, we have an obligation to obedience, but it is a perfect law of liberty. I love that phrasing, describing the word of God in those terms. Now, one other thing that I want to point out here about verse 25, before we go on to verse 26, notice what it says here. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continues in it 
and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You know what I find fascinating about that? I want you to notice in verse 25, that phrase, a doer of the work. I can't tell you how many times I read James chapter 1, verse 25, and assumed that the phrasing was a doer of the word. Now, of course, James has been talking about in context, the idea of being a doer of the word, but it's not all said and done when we are doers of the word. We also need to be doers of the work. God has given each one of us a work, a calling, a destiny to fulfill. We need to do our very best to discern before God what that calling, what that purpose, what that plan he has in our life is, and do the very best we can to be people who are a doer of the work. I have to say that, that I have a strong sense of the work that God has called me to in my life. You might say, well, David, that's simple for you because, you know, here you are, you're a pastor, you're a Bible teacher, you write Bible commentary, all this. And I understand it, I get all that, but listen, God has a calling, a purpose, a destiny for each individual person. Maybe it's within the realm of business. Uh, maybe God's called you to own a small business. Maybe he's called you in the field of education. Maybe God has called you to focus very much on the raising of your children and building them up in their young years and equipping a new generation. Uh, maybe God has you, I could keep listing things on and on and on, but you get the general idea, don't you? God has a work for you to be doing and he wants you to be a doer of the work. So again, let me read that to you. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Uh, look, I, I want to move on and we're going to conclude our time with verses 26 and 27. <laughs> but I don't want to miss that point. This one will be blessed in what he does. God wants you to know. God wants you to have that blessing of a person who feels like I have some sense of why God has me on this earth. I have some sense of what God has for me to do in his kingdom. Don't you think God has that for you? God wants that for you? And listen, I'm not trying to say that any one of us has it perfectly figured out. Although I got to say, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of it, but I don't have a perfect understanding of it. You could say that it continues to unfold. But this is what God wants us to be, to be doers of the word, doers of the work that he has given us to do. We begin with hearing, we begin with receiving, but it has to move on to being doers of the word and the work. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like in practical everyday life? Well, it's almost as if James says to us, I'm glad you asked that question because in verses 26 and 27, he's going to give us some very concrete examples of what it means to be a doer of the work and a doer of the word. What might that look like in an individual life? James is going to explain it to us right here in verses 26 and 27. Are you ready for this? Here we go. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Wow, 
there is a lot for us to unpack in those two verses. Let's begin now at verse 26. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious. Okay, because James has been talking to us as a people of the word. James kind of assumes that at the very least, we're interested in receiving the word. We're interested in hearing the word. He's telling us, don't let it stop there. But it just kind of assumes that we're religious people who are interested in the word of God. He says to us now, okay, if you do think you are religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Wow. You see, James has just shown us that real religion is not shown by merely receiving or hearing the word, but by doing it. And one way that you can be a doer of the word of God, a doer of God's work, I didn't say it's the only way, but it's certainly one way. It's the way that James brings up first here. It's to bridle the tongue. Now, if you fail to bridle your tongue, if you fail to have control over your speech, this one's religion is useless. That's a heavy thing. Because more than a generation ago, it seems like there's a generation of Christians today who don't give much thought to bridling their tongue. I hear a lot of profane speech from a younger generation of Christians. And I, I don't want to act like holiness is just a matter of not saying naughty words. But I just want to know, how do you bridle your tongue? And again, I don't want to restrict this just to profane speech because it goes far beyond that. Somebody may speak the king's English without a hint of profanity at all. And at the same time, they may be spreading such lies, such bitterness, such slander, such gossip through their words that they need to bridle their tongue when it comes to that. Oh no, this goes far, far beyond profanity. But the need to bridle our tongue, what we say, how about this? How about bridling your tongue when it comes to social media? It's embarrassing sometimes how Christians, believers, how intemperate they are, how wild they are in the things that they say and the things that they write and the things that they post in social media. They're not bridling their tongue or maybe they're not bridling their thumbs when it comes down to whatever it would be that they would post on social media when they get that phone in their hand. You see, your walk with God is useless if it doesn't translate into the way that you live and the way that you treat other people. And there are many people who are deceived in their own heart regarding the reality of their walk with God. That's why he's warning us, your religion is useless if it doesn't translate into some practical effect in your life. And one practical effect, again, I'm not trying to say that it's the only practical effect, but one practical effect of the way it would translate into our life is bridling our tongue, being moderate, temperate, self-controlled in what we say, in what we post, in what we send out over social media. Then he goes on to verse 27 to describe more of what this kind of walk is like. He says this, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Now, just stop right there. Isn't that something each and every one of us want? If you would say, do you want pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father? You'd say, yes, absolutely. I want pure religion. I want undefiled religion. Okay, well then what is it? 
James says, I'll tell you what pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father, what it is. It is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Wow. I see two things in verse 27. First of all, he's telling us that it is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Brothers and sisters, this means in a very practical, demonstrated way, reaching out to those who need our help. Now, proverbial in the biblical world were orphans and widows. Those were proverbial in those biblical cultures and beyond for people who needed help. To reach out to the helpless, to reach out to those who need a hand up, who need assistance, who need someone to come beside them, to to come beside the defenseless and the helpless. That is pure and undefiled religion before God. And can I say, I praise God that it is. Because this goes against the spirit of of uh, social evolution, social Darwinism. This goes against the spirit that just says, hey, everybody just gets what they can get for themselves and, and uh, survival of the fittest and let the weak die off. No, that is not the teaching of Christianity. The teaching of Christianity right here is this, that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. To do it, not only to visit them, but to visit them in their trouble. To, to go out and to meet their needs where they're at. One of the things I am very happy about in the modern evangelical world, at least in America, that's where I am right now. That's kind of what I have a vision for, even though I know it extends into other nations as well. There is an increasing desire for Christians to be involved with orphans, with people who don't have parents or proper parents, if you want to use that phrase. I know that's kind of a, you know, not a pleasant phrase to use, but I think you know what I mean by it. And I see this wonderful thing through adoption, through foster care, through supporting those who are in adoption, foster care, doing whatever they can to fulfill this command of what real, pure, and undefiled religion is. It is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, in their time of need. So this very practical help of the needy, this kind, generous heart to those in our society, those in our culture who might need it the most, those who are vulnerable and at least have some sense of innocence about it all, the orphans and the widows, that is pure and undefiled religion. But let me say this, it's not the only thing James mentions. The very last line of verse 27 is also quite instructive to us. Do you see that? He says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep one's self unspotted from the world. In other words, pure and undefiled religion also has an aspect of personal holiness to it, keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Now, we could think of a hypothetical case where somebody does visit orphans and widows in their trouble, but they are steeped in the filth and degradation of the world. James says there's a problem there. In one part, it is a reflection of pure and undefiled religion, but not in the other aspect. God wants us to have both a loving concern for the needy in the world and a concern for personal holiness. 
These are the kind of things that will show us to be true doers of the word, doers of the work, and not hearers only. Let me just wrap it up with this thought from verses 26 and 27. Number one, he says that there are three marks that James gives. And again, I want to stress, we should not regard these as the only marks of doing the word, as the only marks of pure and undefiled religion. But they're the marks James gives us in this particular message. Okay, here they are. Number one, you know how to bridle your tongue. Number two, you have a heart of generosity and kindness towards the most needy and vulnerable in society. And then number three, what is it? You have personal holiness. You keep yourself unspotted from the world. Those are three measures, again, among many, but three ones that James points out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that someone is a doer of the word and not only a hearer. Brother, sister, I'm glad you join us for today's Bible study. I don't know if you can tell. I love teaching the Bible. I love talking about the Bible. But this hits my life. I hope it hits yours. It's not enough for us to be students of the Word. It's not enough for us to be hearers of the Word. We need to be doers of the Word. And as verse 25 says also, doers of the work. Those things abound in our life. We'll have that pure and undefiled religion that will be a blessing in our own life and a beautiful testimony for the world. We're going to end it right here. Next time we get together, we're going to pick it up in James chapter 2. I hope you can join us for that.